Hello and welcome, fellow osmologists to Osmology. I'm Sue. And I'm Ben. And in this episode, we're going to break down our no-fail creative process just for you. That, that would be quote-unquote no-fail. Gotcha. <laughs> that title is a little bit of marketing creativity, but it's built on the idea that if you start out understanding what you're trying to do, you never really quote-unquote fail. You either succeed or you learn what's not working. So that's marketing. This is how we do it. <laughs> when we were bouncing this idea around, we agreed there are really only two paths we can take to get to a finished creative product, right? That's right. Uh, either we start with an outcome in mind or a problem we need to solve. Side note. Uh, there are only two things people are looking for when they want to buy something. Either they have a problem to solve or they have a need we can fulfill. So it's either uh, an outcome for that need or a problem we need to solve, or we see something, we feel inspired and we want to try something. And then we apply that to a problem or outcome that is just sitting there waiting for us, sitting there patiently waiting for us, we hope to find uh, a solution. Does that track for you? I know this is a thing I made up on the spot. It's true. It's one of those things that I know is true and I feel it in my heart, but I made it up on the spot. I feel like it's true. And if it's not, we're going to make it true by the, yeah. uh, by the end of this episode. <laughs> I think all you have to do is say it three times. Right. Yes. Do and you then, have to look in the mirror while you're doing that? No, that, <laughs> that's how you get Bloody Mary. Oh, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Right. Elementary school coming back to me real hot right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think <laughs> I think if you do say it three times into a mirror, you get Don Draper from Mad Men. Oh shoot! That actually that sounds all right. I'm gonna run the restroom quick. I'll be right back. I might be wearing <laughs> maybe wearing a better suit. Drinking a scotch. Drinking a scotch. Yeah. No, I think that definitely sounds right. Uh, thinking about this uh, topic ahead of time, I tried my darndest to think of uh, another reason for why um, one might look for inspiration or create a project like this. And I think that those two two reasons are are it. Cool. It's, at least we agree on something. Yeah. Right. Finally. Sheesh. <laughs> so... Miss Sue, why is it important to understand your purpose when you're creating something? I am so glad you asked. It's almost as if I asked you to ask me that question. <laughs> Our little secret. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, you know, the simple answer is that everything we do has to have purpose. If you don't have purpose, you don't know how you're reach. You don't know if you're reaching what you're trying to reach. You don't know if you're doing anything. And I think it is, it sounds so simple, but where I think people go off the rails is, you know, there's, we have, in marketing, we have this huge sandbox of toys. We have all of these things that we could be playing with, playing with. It's not playing, it's work. But we have all of these things we could be doing, audio and video and graphic design and you know, copywriting and content writing. We have all of these different, different ways we could go. And if you're really lucky, you're in the jobs we're in because you love to do those things. So it's really easy just to say like, I love to do this, so I'm gonna do it. 
and then not really have an end purpose or have clarity around what your end purpose is. Right? Right, for sure. Yeah, I think another um, aspect to why it's just so important is um, something that we all probably could do and should do more, which is relaxing, right? Or celebrating, you know, like if you don't understand your purpose, if you don't have that end outcome or goal in mind, um, then you also like, you don't know when you fall short of it. You don't know when you pass it, but you don't know when to like stop for a second and recognize either of those things, recognize the outcome and relax, take a breath, change and do something different next time, or, you know, totally achieve it and celebrate that. Um, and that that's so important. Otherwise you really can feel like you're on the gerbil wheel, right? Just creating, yeah. creating, creating, going, going, going. And, um, so yeah, I think that, um, that might be, um, I don't know if we're making a top three list of, uh, why it's so important to understand your purpose. That's gotta be in the top three is just mm -hmm. giving yourself that opportunity to relax and change or celebrate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that gerbil wheel, like that hamster wheel, gerbil wheel. Yeah. I, why I, not? They both, it's the same wheel. Can we, <laughs> <laughs> they don't need different wheels. Is that a Midwest thing? Like, do we call them gerbils and others call them hamsters or something? Well, they're two different animals. Oh, they are. Well, see, yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, I had gerbils that had ha a hamster wheel. It's all fine. <laughs> the point is this, that it's interesting you use that analogy because as you're talking about, like, taking that time to celebrate, that's the first thing that comes to my mind because otherwise that is the way it feels. Like, we are creating, 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 and it can be it can really take, especially if you're trying to do a job you love, which is the point, you know, of what we hope we're doing, uh, that can suck some of the joy out of it. If you're just always on that, on the roller coaster, on the hamster wheel, on the dribble wheel, and not stopping and celebrating. And to your other point, which I don't know, I think I veered off this three point system that you arbitrarily set up for us. <laughs> but to your other point, that idea of not giving yourself a chance to iterate. So if you don't know what you're trying to do, you can't stop and say that thing didn't work. Here's the next thing I'm going to try. And I think one of our, one of the ways we perpetuate that hamster wheel is by doing a page one rewrite and we start over instead of saying, this is, you know, here's the little key thing I can change and then I can move on from there. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, that's such a great point in marketing for sure, but I'm sure also in so many other lines of work, professions, specialties, whatever. Um, like it's pretty rare that what we're trying to do is this, singularity or like this one thing that doesn't have many parts to it right so mm. um that that breaking that break that relaxation celebration whatever the end of the attempt um that's so darn important <laughs> um if you don't do that then yeah exactly what you said it's so easy to just be like oh didn't work we gotta start all over but when you do that you do get the opportunity to realize certain parts maybe didn't work or certain parts could have gone better or whatever, but mm -hmm. then you also do recognize what did work. Um, it's 
pretty rare that anything that we do is simply like past fail. You know, almost everything that we do is like, well, we liked this, this worked, um, that doesn't need to change, but these other things are the opportunities for improvement or, um, you know, the, the way to maybe move, move things a little further forward the next try. Uh, right. So yeah, that's, that's such a great point. Um, and just to, gosh, yeah, I'm back to the top three. I'm sorry, I'm getting stuck on the top three. Everything is going to be in my top three. It can just be that's, this. That's fine. Yeah. Man, we love a listicle. <laughs> yeah, we're just we're just shaping our next listicle here. That's it. yeah. No, um, yeah. The end. I have nothing else to say on that. Okay, you don't have the third one for that time. No. Okay. By the end of the episode, we'll have something. Okay, it'll come to you. That's okay. Let's talk. Let's give some context. Let's talk about without dwelling on the negative let's talk about examples of misaligned i tried to be really careful and uh you know words matter so i'm referring to this as misaligned approaches mm. rather than wrong <laughs> i was gonna go with crappy approaches <laughs> like crappy feels a little more true to my heart but just want to be clear people need to know what we're saying yes i'm just kidding misaligned is perfect Thank you. Misaligned approaches to the creative process. What are examples of these? Yeah. We came, we came up with some. Let's we'll crank them out. I'll I'll do the I'll read the first one. Okay. And then you can read the second one. And we'll go from there. So what I thought of is copycatting without examining why something worked for someone else. It is so it is, I think it's great to go out into the market and especially if you go outside of your own industry and get inspiration from a lot of different places. But I think we can be really guilty as marketers of just copycatting what someone does because it triggered our, like it made us happy. It gave us the feel good chemicals in our brain and not really knowing what are the other ancillary pieces that went along with it? What was the strategy? What were they trying to do? It's just cute and we like it and we do it. Maybe I'm the only one on this team that says it's cute. <laughs> Maybe. You know how I feel about the word cute. Yes. Yes. You want to be called it all of the time. But it's, you know, frankly, it's tiring. Uh <laughs> oh, well, it's on record now. So I might as well just lean into that. Yeah. So the second one, um, much like the first, I guess I'll, I'll say the second one and then I'll debrief a little bit. So jumping on a trend that doesn't suit your audience. And I think much like the copy copycatting example that you gave, um, both of these, um, I think like the temptation with them, whether it's copycatting or jumping on a trend, um, the, the big danger with them is it's really easy to mask them with the word innovation or something like mm. that, right? So like, you saw a cool idea, you're going to rip it off and copycat it. That sounds a lot harsher than I mean it to. Um, and because it's, you know, quote unquote, new to you, or maybe new to the rest of your team, your organization, you can kind of like hide behind that and say, oh, it's innovative when really you just totally copycat it. Same thing for jumping on a trend, right? Like, yeah, it's new. Um, you know, a trend is, you know, a trend and something that's new and sexy or, you know, whatever. Um, and to give that a shot because you saw it and you know it's a trend um just another way to you know maybe fool people I, I really feel like i'm i'm bashing uh people that do these things and man let's be real like we're all guilty of it from time to time right. on some level or 
another. So uh, maybe I'm just bashing myself and this is my self therapy session here. Thanks, audience. For do you want to lie down? It's all fine. I'm already laying down. They can't see me, but I'm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you know, the trends are trends for a reason, and uh, while they might be fun and uh, all of that, and while uh, we've seen trends that turn into something that's more than a trend and longer lasting. Um, if it's still not meant for your audience or your brand or, you know, whatever else you're considering as to why you should or shouldn't do a thing. Um, yeah, definitely something to, uh, definitely one of those approaches to avoid or steer clear of uh, when it comes to the creative process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that, that also makes me think of, you know, this sort of our dual, our dual responsibility, because we have, uh, we and our team have responsibilities as marketers for the businesses we market for. And then we have this other responsibility as consultants to the people who trust us. And I always think back to my early days as the single person marketing department who had every kind of consultant at, you know, that was available at the time. And this, this thing that you would always hear, you know, and I think it even became more prevalent when there became more like trends just became more widely available, social media stuff and that kind of stuff that you can really easily get into those, um, get into those spaces where you hear marketers say, well, you have to do this. You have to, you know, and I, the first thing that comes to mind is you have to do video. You have to do, you know, everybody's doing video. You have to do it. Um, and I don't know if you were around in the room when I, and I can't remember how it came up, but it's a pet peeve of mine. And it was the one time our whole team was together in the last 15 months. And somehow it came up and I made this sweeping statement to everyone else on the team, which is marketing 101. If anybody ever tells you, you have to do this thing, it's a lie. <laughs> Don't, you know, it, it might be true for you. It might absolutely be true, but if they're coming from outside of your experience and they don't know enough about your business and what you're trying, your objectives are, then they're just jumping on a trend. They're telling you, you know, make your next TikTok video. Sure. Yeah. So can you say, I get very, I get very passionate about that one thing. That's, that's what you get too many salespeople, no offense. <laughs> okay next one on the list is not examining your outcomes and iterating when you have the opportunity so like back to this is back see now we're in a four four point list going back to the three point listicle it's yeah. it's i told you this wasn't going to be inception but it might be inception you're right i think we just did it i'm gonna, I'm gonna call uh leo up and let him Thanks, Leo. Just, I think we, I think we inceptioned Leo. <laughs> <laughs> so stopping to your point, you know, you, you can misalign the approach by not stopping and saying what happened? Why did it happen? What can I do to either recreate or prevent that in the future? And, you know, like we've said a couple of different times, make tweaks make you know know what you've done know what you know what was successful and i would say even if that thing that was successful was you loved what you did you just applied it 
to the wrong space, right? You just did the wrong thing with it. Yeah. You know, so the product is good. The creative is good. It's just the things that wrapped around it made it not work. Right. So, Sue, maybe it's only for my sake, but also maybe for somebody um, going back to number three on this list, not examining your outcomes and iterating when you have the opportunity. Um, definitely something that I know uh, I uh, could do better um, uh, as far as uh, encouraging our team um, and even you know our clients and others, you know other people that we help to um, really take this one seriously and make sure to create that space to examine outcomes. For those of us that maybe are a little insecure about how good we are at doing it, or we just have proof that we're not the best at it, or we're working on it, we're growing. Um, what would you say to someone who maybe isn't uh, in a place of mastery of this one right now? Like, are there other ways besides like the every project post-mortem or, um, you know, the, the, the thing that, whatever it is, that might be the reason that people don't um, just do this one really, really well. Are there other ways to achieve a similar um, outcome on focusing on your outcomes or what does that, what does that look like? That's, that's a really good question. I think, and I think to your point, people get in their head about it because they think they have to, that it has to be a massive review. And, you know, just like, you know, if you, if I correlated it to other data, right? Uh, so Google Analytics, just for funsies. Let me pick the most complicated and less user for at least user friendly version of data and use that as an example. But the thing, the thing about Google Analytics is that, and a lot of analytics programs is that it lets you track movement of things. And so you're not, you are not necessarily focused on, and I think in some cases you can go too deep into focusing on the what is the specific thing that this specific campaign did or, you know, and beat yourself up a little bit about metrics where if you can see you know, we did these things over a course of months and here's the movement on those key performance indicators for those. I think that that probably is a healthy way to still examine what you're doing, but not stop and dwell on, you know, stop and dwell on each and every project. Now, when I say that, you know, basically the way I would see someone, especially somebody who's just starting off, like figure out what those key, you know, KPI, key performance indicator, I think is, um, it is now so ubiquitous, it has become kind of a buzzy word, but it's a real thing. It's a key indicator of the performance of what you're doing, right? So if you stop, if you push away that like KPI label and think, you know, what are the things that indicate I'm doing well? And it, again, we're talking about results. So you have to figure out what are the results I'm trying to get? Yeah. And, um, Oftentimes, I think we as marketers are, you know, we, we live in this really, 
I'm going to use the word special. It's not the right word. We live in a different place than the sales folks on the team. And so we, we need to take sales results with, we, we have to look at them through a different lens than our salespeople do. And if we tie everything we're doing directly to sales results as a key performance indicator, I think that gives us kind of a skewed version of what, of what our actual performance is. Right. So I think about click-throughs, I think about email opens, I think about engagement online, I think about, you know, right down to comments on a blog post or, you know, there are all of these indicators that tell, can tell you as a marketer, am I getting, am I positioning things, am I creating the right thing and am I positioning it in a place that it creates that movement and those are my key performance indicators. Now, of course, if I write, you know, this really fantastic blog post, and I'm really proud of it and it gets lots of people to read it, but then we never see any result of that, that doesn't solve the problem either. But I can't, you, you have to keep perspective on what you have control over and what starts to get, you know, further out of our scope than what we don't have control over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then a point that you've made to me probably within the last two months is also keeping an eye on, you know, we can't, we can't affect what happens for the salespeople, but we can be here as a resource for the salespeople. Mm-hmm. So if they don't have what they need, like part of the thing about keeping an eye on the marketing performance indicators is that if everything's rosy in marketing, and sales is bogged down, then we need to have a talk about what tools just does sales need? What right. can we do, you know, especially because I think it's really easy as an organization for what's coming, what's new and fresh in marketing to really lag behind what sales actually has in their hands. So refreshing things, cleaning them up, making them easy to read, making, you know, whatever can happen on the sales end and throughout the whole journey in between, you know, to make that success in the marketing area flow through the organization. Yeah. Sounds so easy when I just shout that at you, but it's complex (laughs) for sure. (laughs) It is complex complex for sure, but seriously, awesome feedback for like, what wasn't a very uh, awesomely formed question. but I, I do think a lot of what you said is super valuable in that, um, you know, so many examples that you gave are all of those points along the journey of a project or, or jobs, and each of them provides that opportunity to examine or to pause or to celebrate or to realign or, you know, whatever. So um, I think, you know, kind of bringing it back to what you first said you know, that it doesn't always have to be the big four-hour post-mortem meeting on a campaign or something like that. Um, honestly, I don't know if I would, I personally would ever suggest that to anyone, but, um, you know, sometimes, you know, if, if something's big enough or it's part of your, you know, core strategic initiatives or something like that, yeah, you might need to really dedicate some time to a big review of a, of a really large effort, but also so much of what we do 
Um, and again, this is just another thing that I think applies to marketing definitely, but probably applies to a lot of other lines of business. So much of what we do is never done, you know, mm-hmm. like we're just constantly going and creating and iterating and going and creating and iterating, you know, again and again and again. Um, but there is no denying that along the way there are, uh, you know, milestones or, you know, really logical points to stop and examine and research right. and, and then keep going. Um, so much of what you said to, I can't help but um, agree with, and I know that we're the marketing people talking about how we need to look at things differently from sales, but it, it is a nice segue into our fourth example of focusing purely on what business wants and not the needs of the customer, right? It's, it is really easy to get sucked into that trap, especially a lot of, if there's any facet of sales department in your business, your credit union, whatever, um, like there's numbers that those folks have to pay attention to and their sales numbers, right? And of course they're super important to them. Um, so um, no denying that. And also I wouldn't recommend denying that because those are important numbers um, and they, can definitely shed light on the state of the business, the state of your people, um, maybe even be translated to the state of your culture and and Mm -hmm. things like that too. So um, while we in marketing have our own metrics and um, measurements to pay attention to, you know, we would be, it'd be irresponsible for us to not also be aware of the holistic picture, which does include sales numbers and things like that too. The temptation though is to, um, rely too heavily on that information and put your focus solely on that information that you do forget about the people that you're serving, mm-hmm. the consumer and what they need, what they want and how you're actually helping them. And, you know, that's where marketing can certainly get the label of, you know, that squishy or emotional um, kind of work that we do. Um, and it, you know, not, you know, contributing directly to a sales number or something like that. But um, at the end of the day, it's part of the process. It's a part of the funnel or the flywheel or whatever sales uh, process you're using or measuring. But um, yeah, it's, uh, and geez, we'll be the first to admit that it's tough to, um, to stay away from that temptation of focusing only on sales numbers and things like that. But um, a good uh credit union associate of mine, uh, Royce and the guy I'm from Partners Federal Credit Union, which is the credit union for uh, the Disney Corporation. Um, one thing that he said uh, in a meeting I was with him once upon a time was uh, so awesome that I used once upon a time telling a story about the Disney Credit Union. Totally Ooh. unintentional. <laughs> it was unintentional. It just happened. Did they pay you but to he, do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, um, you know, if we, if we only carried about if we only cared about traditional ROI, the only thing that we would do is mortgages. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ding, 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 you know, like, yeah, totally. You know, I mean, think of the kind of work that we do, what's most profitable, what, um, you know, even if your focus is, you know, still all the good of credit unions, right? Like people helping people, um, you know, so much of our ability to do that is having a healthy balance sheet and, you know, being a financially stable institution. And a lot of that is offering the right products that, you know, do support uh, the organization as a whole. And, you know, if that's truly all that we're focused on, then yeah, we would only do the things we would only offer those products and services that, 
make the most for us and stuff. And we know as credit unions, that's actually absolutely against who we are and what we do and why we do it. There's a lot of stuff that we do that is <laughs> uh, very involves little profit for the organization or sometimes even none. So, uh, and that's important because mm -hmm. um, we are helping people. Of course, there's a balance and all of that. So anyways, Landing yeah. the plane. Um, <laughs> Land the plane, Ben. Yeah, I, I think um, I just I really appreciate. I always have that um, idea from Royce in the back of my head because uh, really, if we if we don't remember about our real why mm -hmm. and um, what we're here for, um, it'd be really easy to get sucked into the trap of becoming a super focused organization that provides really little to people and at the end of the day doesn't doesn't provide the help that we're here to to provide right right well and as long as i am actively oversimplifying things i think the thing the thing particularly in the credit union industry but i would say again this is something that you know if you are in any business in any business that offers anything to other people, you know, you're, if you can't look at the thing you're offering and really feel in your heart of hearts that it makes people's lives better, that it suits a need that someone has, then that is a thing that you have to examine. So, you know, it can, and it can be like, you can be selling widgets, whatever it is. Uh, that's the, our job, everyone's job, is to just make other people's lives better. And so your business can be making other people's lives better. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Sue, let's transition to talking about our process and how we apply to really different creative outlets, design and writing to this process. I am really glad we're going to have this conversation because from the outside looking in, as a writer to a graphic designer, what you do seems like magic. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I have access to the tools you have access to, and it still seems magical. So I'm really interested to hear what is the first step? If you, you apply, you know that you have a purpose and what's the first step you take to get into a creative project? Yeah. Well, I would, I think that I would be uh, devaluing our previous message if I didn't acknowledge the fact that there has to be some understanding of purpose, like why you're doing the thing that you're doing for sure. And much like uh, some of the measurement and other stuff that we've been talking about, that can happen on different levels. Like to understand the purpose or the objective of a thing doesn't mean that you need a 10 page creative brief. It doesn't mean that you need to be so aligned with the organization that you're helping, um, that you need to pretty much be a member of their executive management or something like that to really understand the, you know, deepest, darkest secrets of the why they're doing a thing, but you do have to have some level of understanding for sure. And, you know, that might happen in many different ways, but understanding purpose, understanding the outcome that you're shooting for is super important. And um, that does happen in many different ways. Sometimes it is as simple as a conversation with that key stakeholder, the person that you're designing a thing for and asking the right questions, you know, what are we trying to do here? You know, so um, 
I think once you have that though, uh, for me, my first step almost always, and another thing that can happen on different levels is um, inspiration. So creating uh, inspiration for myself. So an example of where that happens on a really, really um, low level or happens easy, maybe simultaneously, maybe subconsciously, not sure the word I'm looking for there, but um, you know, we're influenced by things all the time, every day, just being outside and being, you know, out and about and consuming content and other advertising and stuff like that, right? We're, we're being influenced by things all the time. And sometimes there are things that just stick in your head. And it's happened to me several times over the course of my career as a designer where, um, new project comes in, I dive right in and start working on the thing, it's done and put out in the world. And then all of a sudden you realize the thing that was living in the back of your brain that was telling you why you should design it like that or why it should look like that or whatever. So like that subconscious inspiration, you know what I mean? And you're like, oh, that's where I got that thing from for sure. And it can be everything from, uh, you know, any of the basic design principles using color typography, you know, stuff like that. So um, it, it's, I don't know, I guess a blessing and a curse that we're constantly receiving input and inspiration to help drive how and why we do things. Um, but we just kind of have to take it and go with it. Um, if something is telling you that you need to put more time into the inspiration, um, then I'll definitely intentionally make that uh, time before I start to um, you know dive into creative software um, I know that I have always wished that I would be like a better sketcher or thumbnailer before I actually dive into the software but even if it's a matter of doodling or creating an outline of what I think the thing's gonna um, wind up looking like or the shape it's gonna take um, sometimes it's really important to like tell yourself by either giving yourself a time limit or um or some other sort of measurement to know like okay i've done the thing that i think i need to do to make sure that i'm um thinking about this project uh, in a way that isn't heavily influenced by the last thing i saw or by um, something that I just really want to try and do. And that's where I think getting inspiration from others and from other sources is so important. And sneak peek in our uh, last segment of the show, I'll save a few, or I'll, I'll share a few of the places that I get some of that from. Um, and it, it, it's, as I'm thinking about this and sharing right now, um, I find it interesting that this inspiration is, a first step for me because um, one, I think it's one that gets overlooked um, and um, not given enough attention. And because of that, people kind of get stuck in this cycle of creating stuff that looks and feels the same and everything. And, um, and that's exhausting uh, and winds up becoming boring. And it can maybe even be the reason why um, a designer isn't looked at as a a good or a creative designer or they're feeling unfulfilled in what they're doing it's like well yeah because you're creating the same thing every time you know what i mean so um, that inspiration is so crucial like from a fulfillment standpoint and also from you know the standpoint of your growth as a person and as a designer so um i think another reason why it's the first step for me is um because it's really really fun 
um, <laughs> especially when it's beyond that quick subconscious kind of, uh, or, you know, um, brief inspiration. Like when you actually make the time to like scour through things or, uh, you know, dive into your favorite website that you get this inspiration from or a magazine or, you know, depending on what the project is that you're looking at a video, you know, whatever. Um, it's, it's so cool to, um, to see what others do. Um, and it's, I think it's so important to get that inspiration from like almost as far outside of your norm or your network as you can. So like, if you're a print only designer, like check out web stuff or video stuff to get inspiration that you can like bring into your print and the same thing the other way around. Right. Um, and geographically even too, uh, you know, if you're like me, a designer in the Midwest, USA, um, like check out stuff from Africa or the UK or, or Asia or something. And, you know, it's just, it's, that's like the beauty of like world cultures. You can be influenced by color and even, um, you know, different languages, just seeing the same text, the same fonts and stuff that you use every day, but seeing them in a different language can just do something in your brain that creates something to look and feel differently. So uh, I think it's one of the most um, rewarding and fun parts of being a designer. Uh, at the same time, it also can wind up being a pain in the butt because you see something that you love and you want to bring this aspect of it into your design or something and either you just haven't done it before or um, you're just not quite hitting the mark on exactly what it looks like. And that can be kind of painful to like know in your head or know what you were influenced by and want to create that or something like it or um, something that gives off the same feeling, uh, but you just can't do it. And so that's when you need to remember that done is better than perfect. And, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things that help you move on to the next project. Otherwise it's stuck. You can get stuck in that cycle, you know? But. Yeah. That's a, that's a dangerous sort of cycle for creatives, that feeling that coming to the end of the project, that it's just not quite, you know, that you could keep working on it mm -hmm. maybe forever. Yeah. because you want to get it just exactly the way you want it you know right so speaking of magic sue i actually am magic here's the difference <laughs> i am magical no i am constantly in awe of how either a half-brained idea or a simple bulleted list can go to you and then what comes back is just the words it's just the words that need to be said the message that needs to be consumed um, and you do it time and time again so um yeah speaking of magic uh what's what's the first step that you take to making that magic happen when you're diving into a project yeah so it's it's kind of interesting similar to similar you know we start in about the same place which is find out the objective, find out the purpose, wrap your brain around it. And you know who I am as a human being. I, uh, I'm a really persistent questioner. Like I just question, 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 you know, I will ask and probably to the annoyance of some people, like I really dig into sort of the nooks and crannies of that, uh, English muffin of creativity <laughs> to figure out like every, every nuance about that. But then where we diverge, I realize, is 
for me, especially when we're talking about long form writing, blog posts, things like that, I have to deliberately separate myself from anything that would inspire me because it's really, because they're words and it's really, really easy to, because, uh, and this is def definitely something I've done over my career um, and previous to having a career as a writer, just being someone who was casually writing, like to find something that an author I really, really love and then, you know, in read a whole bunch of what that author writes. And then I find myself like I'm writing and it is just me imitating what they're doing. And I'm doing it because I love it. And it's, you know, for whatever reason, it's usually for me, it's because it's funny and it, you know, whatever. But that that can that can be a real detriment to me so i have to what i do instead is really focus on focus on people which sounds it maybe sounds weird and disconnected when you're talking about like what i'm doing is putting words on a page and very often in in what we do it's about like people just need to know this message this is the thing we need to get to people and at first blush i think that it that always seems pretty pretty uh straightforward pretty cut and dried and what i think where i take take it to a different level is to think about like how if i'm that person how do i have to receive this and what has to happen after i do it and what am i going to do how am i going to feel about it and what uh what are my likely concerns and then i always i always try to write what I'm write what I'm writing through that lens of what how can I answer every question that I think I would have without like you know it'd be, it would be pretty easy in a lot of these cases to just say here are frequently asked questions and answer those questions but I I don't think people's brains work that way so I really like to, I like to try and formulate a thing so that it feels natural to the way, you know, when I read this sentence, the next thing that's going to come to my mind is this thing. So I'm going to answer that thing for them and then try and keep it conversational. And it is, it always has to come back to me to what does the person who needs to read this need and how can I provide it to them? Um, without and how can i provide it to them in a way like i really want even if it is a very businessy thing i want i want those words to feel like a snack to people Do you know what i mean i want them to feel good about having read it even if it's bad news yeah so yeah. such an interesting challenge that you face well i suppose uh any creative i mean thinking a, a designer faces it too is that um, continual focus you need on like who is consuming the thing that you're creating right and sometimes you as the person creating that stuff are not that person like very mm -hmm. clearly or very obvious so like you know just a really interesting challenge to like be creating a thing that is solely intended to capture someone's intention uh, attention or um, you know, inform someone that you definitely are not you know mm -hmm. and I think like you know, if I was a designer for, um, I don't know, I'm, I, I like sports, I'm a sports guy or whatever, but there are some things like, 
like uh, the UFC, which is just a little, it's a little bit too rough for me. It's a little you know, kind of like gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit when I see it or watch it. Um, like if I had to design something for that audience, like I would probably be influenced by my feelings on it and like soften it a little bit or whatever, which is probably totally against the kind of image that they're trying to put off, which is mm-hmm. you know, this, you know, no holds barred, <laughs> you know, kind of rough, super rough sport, right? Um, but you know, if I was tasked with that and if I truly understood that and what their message was, I would have to get over myself and, you know, design for that audience and maybe make myself a little uncomfortable, which is a challenge, but also one of the really rewarding things of being a creative is your ability to kind of like grow and, um, design for people that you're not. Yeah. And it's interesting that you used the sports analogy because as you were starting to talk, like that was the thing that came to mind. This is the reason that, we'll, you know, we'll get into a project sometime and I'll be like, is this a sports thing, Ben? That's a thing people say in sports, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, I think I have like 60 or 70% <laughs> success rate yeah. in knowing what, what people actually say in sports and using it in the right context. So... <laughs> So I'm, I'm grateful, grateful for you on the team to be that guy. (laughs) No, Sue, touchdown is not a soccer thing. No, just kidding. You've never asked me that question. You know what a touchdown is. You do live in Wisconsin, so. Right. Right. It's kind of tough to not know what a touchdown is. (laughs) Tell me a sports ball term. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we, we are, uh we're starting to run out of time. So I think we should, I think we've done, we've done good work here is what I think. So I think we're going to jump ahead to our last question, which is summing up your best advice for marketers and people who rely on marketers when it comes to fitting the creative project to the need it's meeting. So I am going to totally cheat knowing that we skipped a couple of questions to fast forward here. Um, and the questions I think were um, just so wish we could have gotten to them, but I will, I'll summarize at least one of them in what I do think is some of the best advice I could give to, to marketers and people who rely on us um, is setting milestones or benchmarks along the way when you, you know, have the time to be able to do that, or as the project allows for that, there's some things that we do that are just so darn quick that from project initiation to seeing a final or almost final project, like you just don't have time for a milestone or somewhere in between, but definitely plenty of stuff that we do that, um, you know, takes, takes time and takes a huge dedication of resources and hours and sometimes dollars and stuff like that. So when you have that opportunity to check in along the way um, and be clear about what those milestones are or what benchmarks you want to use along the way, um, do it, use them Mm -hmm. because um, it could wind up saving you a ton of time and a ton of money to, you know, correct yourself along the way or, you know, be sure that you are on the right track. Um, And that, I mean, back to something we said earlier uh, in the episode where a lot of our work just is never done. Um, Sometimes when something does feel complete or you feel like you've, you know, got something to the point of done, that might just be a milestone or a benchmark in disguise. You know, that's really 
it's not done because you know you need to take that and turn it into something else or go another way with it but what you've done actually is instead of completing something is you've just taken that breath to um, mm -hmm. see is this where we need to be now or what do we need to change before we get to the next milestone so super crucial super important um both for like making sure that visions and strategies are aligned and also to make sure that you're not wasting a bunch of money because you dedicated a bunch of time and resources and dollars to something where you didn't really check into it until the very end only to realize you need to start over or take 10 steps back so great advice love it speaking of benchmarks and milestones i think my advice would be if you don't know what those should be pick something you get one opportunity really you get one opportunity to pick what that milestone is or what your goal is going to be and if you miss the mark on what it should be you have learned something so if you have if you've picked you know back to the key performance indicators if you have gone like absolutely into outer space with what you chose as a number um then you learn that you've gone absolutely into outer space and so the next next time you do it you don't get to guess you know you're really zeroing in each time right so uh you're nodding because you fully understand what i'm talking about we've never done that before we've never picked a number that's all outer space pull the number out of nowhere that's because we're pulling numbers out of our rears. <laughs> no, but you, I think people, you get frustrated exactly to your point before, like, what do you do if you feel intimidated by the idea of finding benchmarks or finding milestones? You, you choose, use the intelligence you have, you choose a number, and then know that you get that one opportunity just to pull something out of the air and then hold yourself accountable to never do that again. Once you have one to start with, you are from that point on intelligently tracking things. It might not mean you hit the mark the next time either. It might take several, uh, several iterations of something to hit the mark, but pick something and uh, go forward. Excellent advice, my friend. Thank you. You move into our wrap up, which is our something awesome segment where we provide a recommendation something awesome that we've seen heard uh, or experienced recently and as i promised earlier uh, a few of the sites that i use for that inspirational part of the process which sometimes very intentionally happens at the beginning of a project also sometimes happens when i need a brain break or i just want to see something cool uh, or it's raining outside and i can't do the thing that i wanted to do whatever um, so we'll share out some links to a few websites uh, the three in particular uh, design week which is a site from the uk that um, a nice blend all of these are a nice blend of just straight up visual examples of things that have been designed uh, by agencies firms companies from all over the world um, Another one is identity design, which uh, definitely has a focus on uh, brand identity and brands. So you'll see less of like specific project uh, based um, examples there, but things that are really um, either new brands or rebrands or refreshes um, and uh, lots of really cool examples there, both things that are really visual and text based and uh, 
that's a good one, especially if you're at all interested in uh, developing or enhancing brands. Um, and then the master picks, just another great example of things that are picked uh, from the world uh, of design and production that uh, just provide some great examples of things that are super visual, uh, admittedly uh, super colorful, which is uh, something I love. I love seeing color incorporated into design. So um, between those three, you'll probably get all of the design inspiration you might ever need. Uh, but I'm sure if you uh, did a good Google, uh, you'd probably find <laughs> hundreds of other sites that would provide some really good examples too. Awesome, great advice. So my recommendation, this is a book I am loving right now. And I realized I have been only recommending books and it makes me sound really smart, but I do want to point out for the audience, you have no idea how long it takes me to read these books <laughs> because I fall asleep at night while I'm reading. But the book I'm reading right now is a book called, You Saw That It Was Good, Reimagining Your Creative Life to Repair a Broken World. And it's by a guy named Show Baraka. He, as I understand it, the only thing I knew about uh, this person was I saw the synopsis of the book and it was really interesting to me. Um, but he is a creative, he's a writer, he's a rapper. Um, and the focus of this book is looking at how, um, how creative people can be creating, you know, basically creating for good and how, and he, one of the big things that I've come across as I've read this, that first of all, this book has been an inspirational quote factory for me. I am highlighting like crazy things that like I just love. But one of the things he points out is uh, something I've always believed, which is you can be, you can be called to what you do. You can have you can have a calling and it doesn't have to be a religious or a spiritual calling. Mm. So everyone, you know, should seek out the work that you are called to do. And you don't have to, you know, you don't have to just work for a living. You can work for a calling. And um, when we all do that, you know, all work is important. And when we all do that then the, you know, the world is a better place. So I did, so one of the quotes that I found um, is about viewing our work as worship. So it's the book itself, it's a, it, it, it is a religious focused book, right? So it's, it's correlating work and creativity with um, the view of a higher power and how all of that works together. But uh, he's, he talks about viewing the work that we do as worship to uh, you know, a creator, to the universe. So it says, to view our work as worship is not easy, but it begins with affirming our humanity. We have been made in God's image. So the, this idea that what we do, that everything we can everything we do can be, um, can be doing good work. It can be putting good in the world and it doesn't, you can be a, um, you can dig ditches. Like that's my parents' example of, of jobs, dig ditches. <laughs> you can weave baskets. It's all like, if you're doing it, you're doing it from a good place and it's your calling, then it's putting good into the world. So yes. it is, it's such an interesting book. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Love the message. Yeah. 
So I feel, and you know, just to say, I feel called to the work we do. So that's probably why I scream at people about marketing for right. hours at a time. <laughs> it's not me. It's the calling. I can't, the, I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that brings us to our end. A reminder, we will have some links to share below on, on our blog, exclamationcuso.com slash blog is where you can find that. And also in the show notes, wherever you're listening to our podcast. Speaking of where you're listening to our podcast, you can find us on your favorite podcast app, or you can always visit our blog and catch all of our episodes. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, friends, for tuning in. This is Sue and Ben, your self-proclaimed professors of awesomeology, reminding you that life's awesome if you make it awesome. We'll see you next time.